Hey, this is Kathleen. And when I'm not unfucking businesses here on the podcast, I'm unfucking real estate over at ysaintpete.com. My company is Sighty Realty, and we are excited to sponsor this episode. Hey, this is Queen Sis with the DJ Plug, and you're listening to Unfuck My Business. No bullshit advice for business owners who want to be resilient as fuck. So listen up, nerds. These guys mean business. What's up, unfuckers? We've got a full house on today's episode because we're going to be talking about something that I have struggled with my entire life. Knowing when to shut the fuck up. Unfortunately, (laughs) I think uh, whether it's in life or business, we all have a tendency to kind of run on at the mouth uh, uh, when we've got nerves involved, particularly in sales environments. We see this a lot, people talking themselves out of a sale. And, you know, we've talked previously about, you know, those quadrants of communication and when we're dealing with stress in the business and, uh, There's a tendency sometimes to overshare with the wrong people in the wrong environments if you're, you know, in that position. So we're going to spend a little time today talking about when to shut the fuck up in sales, when to shut the fuck up in business, and when to shut the fuck up in your personal life as well. I'm going to start off with uh, Robin because uh, as a a professional communicator, uh, I think you've, you've probably got a lot of experience with helping people know when to shut the fuck up. Yes. And I myself have had to learn to shut the fuck up. One of my mentors, her voice will remain in my head until the end of time. And she used to always say, Robin, ask your question and then shut the fuck up. And that's what I had to learn how to do. That applies in sales, but she was giving me that advice, particularly in the context of running a workshop, running a training with a room full of people. You know, I would interpret the silence as not understanding the question. And then I would continue to rephrase the question or give examples. And so after observing me do that, she would pull me aside and say, ask the question and then shut the fuck up. (laughs) And I took that very much to heart. And then I, and I help people do the same thing, you know, uh, present the information and then shut the fuck up. And then sometimes, you know, you you can't do this when you're face-to-face, but one of my favorite examples was when I was working with call center people. When you are calling into a call center, the number one thing you want is to just be listened to. People want to feel like they've been listened to. But the person on the other end of the phone has heard your question 50 times that day. They know what your question is. They already know what the answer is. And so they think they're helping by like cutting you off and jumping to the solution. And so I would have to train those call center employees. Like, I know you already know what they're talking about. I know you already know what the answer is, but they have to be listened to. So you have to shut up and let them finish talking before you present the solution. And I would say, if you're having a hard time, like physically shut yourself up, you know, and I would have them practice by like closing their lips clamped and using their fingers, you know, to hold their mouth shut. And there is nothing funnier than walking through a call center and seeing people standing there with their hands over their mouths, (laughs) you know, like, and I can tell that somebody's just prattling on on the other end of the phone and they want to interrupt so bad, but they're physically keeping themselves from talking because that's the right thing to do in that situation. And, And that's an extreme example, but like in your head, you can do the same thing. Like, let them finish, let them finish. Don't talk, don't interrupt. You know, and it's so hard sometimes. 
Somebody once said that it's, you know, the, the biggest problem in communication was when people aren't actively listening, they're just waiting to say their part. And so you don't feel yes. like you're being heard. Kathleen. You know, it goes to the active communication, active listening thing that you just mentioned. Silence is really uncomfortable for people. And that's part of the reason why you're trying to fill it with more words. But that's also the magic of being able to sit in that discomfort. Other people are going to start filling the silence. And if you are in a place where you, your intention is to learn what they have to say, like you have to come to it with that, that perspective. You're here to learn about them and understand them. You want to create that uncomfortable silence so that they will start talking and they're going to tell you probably more than they ever intended to. Like people open up and they just start going. And whether it's in business, whether it's in sales, whether it's in, you know, dating life, like all kinds of situations, it's golden. And to be able to sit there without an agenda of what am I going to say next and just let that pour out and listen is really powerful. It so is. I, I, yeah, I, I have been called a good listener, but it's like, a conscious decision and something that I had to learn to do. And it starts with shutting the fuck up and actually listening, you know, Angel? Yes, yes. A thousand times, yes. It's funny, Robin <laughs> is talking about a completely different call center in another state. We've never worked for the same company, and yet the challenges are still the same. And I don't even think that it's specific to call centers. When we hear the beginning of a problem, it's like human nature for us to want to quick solve it, quick solve it. And so we jump in before we fully understand. And so I constantly, I'm, I'm still, still learning how to shut up and listen. Um, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. The first best piece of advice I've gotten in my career is when I was a sales rep on the phone and my manager brought me over to his desk and he said, you are working so hard. You don't have to work that hard. <laughs> he said, I'm going to teach you how to work smarter, not harder. Ask the question and shut up. Wait for the answers and they will give you their selling points. And if there's silence, silence is not a no. Silence is a buying signal. It means they're thinking. Either that or they drop the phone. <laughs> <laughs> In a previous episode, we talked about working with, uh, you know, web developers and such and the conversations that need to occur between a web developer and a customer for there to be a good outcome. And part of that comes from that same question. A lot of times as a web developer, you're so eager to talk about solutions that you're not listening to the problems. And, you know, before you even get to that selling point where you ask for the sell and then you shut up and wait, you know, you have to really understand where they're coming from. And that means listening to what those answers are and, and really engaging them in a more uh, in-depth conversation. If people know that you're actually listening, and then when you do talk, you're only talking to ask a further question, which both demonstrates that you were listening and you understand what's being said, and also opens the floor back up to them again to talk a little bit more about their buying conditions, you know, you're, you're going to have such a better outcome, both on the sales and the delivery side. You know, like it's such an important thing. And we were also, I think before we started filming this episode, uh, and I was talking with Robin about it, she wasn't sure, you know, like how fast we could all go through talking about shutting the fuck up because it seems like we could all hammer some hard points home and be done in about 20 minutes. And, and I pointed out, you know, like one of the things that's really worked well for me in this space with the podcast 
is using that same ability to shut the fuck up and really letting people explore the idea and get it all out. And I think that as like podcast runners, we've all sort of learned a little bit better about not stepping on each other's toes and really letting that full thought get out there. Robin? Oh, I agree wholeheartedly, especially when you have a counterpoint or you want to follow up on somebody's idea. You're like, ah, 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 and, <laughs> <laughs> and I can always tell, I can always tell who the conversationalists are in a room and they're trying to be polite and they're trying to shut the fuck up and let others talk, but their whole body like, like moves and their shoulders move and they lean forward and they, ah, ah, and they make the thing with their mouth and their finger goes up in the air and you can tell they want to talk so bad. <laughs> and I have been that person many, many times. I'm sure you all have seen me do that as we're recording some of these episodes. But I think that's okay. And I think it's okay to give people those signals. You know, listening is very important. It's the other side of the coin to shutting the fuck up. Because just shutting the fuck up doesn't mean anything if you're not listening to what's being said around you. But that doesn't mean like be stoic or give nothing away, right? And so anyone who's ever worked with me in person or face to face, (laughs) they always know when I have an idea and I'm still listening, but sometimes it's hard for the other person to keep talking when they can see that like something has gone off in my brain, you know, (laughs) because it's like it's demonstrated in my eyes, in my face, in my body language, like, oh, Robin's got an idea, you know? And so when you're, when you're talking to somebody like me, when I talk to others who are like me, who physically can't contain themselves when they've had a thought or an idea, it can be equally as challenging to, to continue talking when you know the other person has something that they want to share, right? And so the idea of, of listening as part of this, knowing when to shut the fuck up, and for me, sometimes I have to know, like, I have one client who's, who's very distracted by my idea face. And so part of me knowing when to shut the fuck up is also to tell my face and my body language to shut the fuck up too, right? Because I need him to keep talking. I need him to keep getting his ideas out, no matter how many ideas I have while he's going, right? Sometimes body language and facial expressions are part of that shutting the fuck up. <laughs> so you don't distract the people that you really need and want to be listening to. Exactly. Shay? So as we were talking here, the idea is three things came to mind. Well, we all have three conversation monsters. We have the advice monster, the justification monster, and the story monster. And we have to shut down all of these monsters on a regular basis, especially if you're in a, in a, in a position of consultation or you're trying to like do the initial consult with a client. And it's very easy to not shut the fuck up and end up giving them everything before they've even paid you a dime. You know, it's like, oh yeah, this is like, you know, a 15, 20 minute call, but you spend an hour just talking and exploring their problems and running down every little single rabbit hole before you even set up a contract. So yes, shutting, shutting down these three monsters can really help us kind of like break past because I'm really bad about aiming straight for the solution. Like, I don't like, yes, I understand the problem. Like Robin was saying earlier, I get the problem. Here's a solution, like, you know, and not listening to them and not listening for the profit in the situation. Like we were talking about on the website episode, you have to listen for, you know, the right things. Absolutely. Kathleen. I'm going to give a little tip. I have a lifelong, I feel like a bad habit of cutting people off during conversations. You know, it's exactly what we're talking about. 
we're going back and forth. I get excited. I pipe up. I mean, I've done this in college. I did this in in those courses. And I just like, it felt like I was having a personal conversation with the instructor, right? I'd like pipe up all the time. I developed this little habit. So now when I have one of those thoughts in the middle of listening to somebody, I literally cross my fingers. It's a reminder to me that I had a thought I want to come back to. Because part of what happens in that conversation is as the flow continues, if I let the conversation go five minutes later, I completely forgot that I was going to add something. But this is my reminder that there was something. And then it's pretty easy to trigger my memory as to what it was. But if I don't do this, it's just gone. And that's part of the reason that I felt like I needed to jump in right away. So creating this little reminder, oh, right, I have something I want to share, makes it so much easier to let the person continue their train of thought, go through the whole process, and then I can come back and assess if it even is relevant or not and add something to the conversation later. Absolutely. Angel. I have a great example of this. (laughs) While we were just talking, I was thinking about how I tend to forget what I was going to say if I try to reel myself in and just listen because I'm so engaged in the conversation when those ideas are popping that that idea will slip right back out of my head as quickly as it went in. And so in the team that I was on, I was very cognizant of that. And we had conversations about it within the team. And so I decided to just put my finger on my nose. In that group of people, it worked (laughs) because it would help me remember. May not not work in all scenarios. I think I've done it and people have kind of looked at me funny because they didn't realize why I was doing it. But I love your finger crossing thing. Another tool that I've implemented is just writing stuff down. It can be hard to write stuff down while you're in the conversation. Sometimes that could be distracting. Just writing down like one or two words during the conversation so that I don't forget what that idea was. Because the only problem with the nose trick or the fingers is that I'll forget what the idea was. I'll be like, you know what? I had something really great to say and I forgot what it was. And I think we've had that happen in the Tuesday meetings as well, where I was really excited, but so engaged in the conversation, it slipped right out. I have gotten in the habit, and normally I was so proud of my ability to remember things constantly and all the rest of that. But I find that sometimes I'll lose the nuance or the context of that particular moment. And so I've just gotten in the habit of whenever I'm on a call, like with a a client or something along that line, just have a little notepad file open and make quick little notes along the way. It's pretty unobtrusive, right? You know, sometimes if you're like holding a pad and writing and stuff, you know, then they're they're more focused on what you were doing than what they were saying, you know? Uh, but generally my keyboard's out of sight here in front of me and it's easy enough for me to make quick notes and, and refer back to that. And it really, you know, again, it leads to a, a more full conversation where you're able to explore the concepts uh, that you're trying to get through and all the rest of that. I think another side of shut the fuck up that's important is in regards to oversharing. And this is something that I think When we are in a new environment, sometimes when we're trying to personalize that experience, we may have a tendency to overshare. And it's not even like, you know, what you might think of in in the case of like friend oversharing, you know, where you're like, oh my God, I just got back from having the worst diarrhea ever. Like, okay, that's, that was, I didn't need to know that, Uh, (laughs) you know. But in the case of of business conversation, oversharing can can be a lot 
more subtle than you think. You know, um, if you show up, say, five minutes late to an appointment or a call and you're walking in the door all flustered and you're like, oh, my God, I had this happen and this happen and this happen and then this went here and this went there. You know, now you're taking something that was a stressful experience for you and you're transferring that stress to the person that you're talking to. And you've completely disrupted the entire structure of that conversation by injecting your stress into it. I'm a beast about punctuality. So if I'm going to be a, more than a minute late, I'm going to message that person in advance and let them know, hey, listen, I think I'm going to be two, three minutes late, five minutes late, whatever. You know, to me, that's just a courtesy thing. But then when I walk in the door, the way I'm going to handle that is sorry about the delay. I'm looking forward to this conversation. And that's it. You don't need to give any of the rest of that information. You don't need to make huge justifications. As long as you did the, the courtesy of letting them know that you were going to have that delay, you can move right into the actual main course of the conversation. Robin, I know when dealing with things like content and communication strategy on a regular basis, I know you've run into this in the past with people oversharing from a business perspective. Yeah. And, you know, we've started this conversation in the context of like having actual conversations. But shutting the fuck up and oversharing and all of the things can be applied to video content that you make, can be applied to your social media, can be applied to copy and communications that you write on behalf of your company. So we may be using a lot of examples that involve having an actual conversation, but what we're talking about applies to any sort of communication you're doing on behalf of yourself or your business. So I just want to make sure that's clear. And I think it's important to keep the overall story and the overall desired customer experience in mind. And so when you understand what that is, it's easier to make smarter decisions about what I should share and what I shouldn't share from a personal perspective and from a business perspective. I have a, a friend and a former client who openly struggles, it's part of her brand, with various mental illnesses. And she shares a lot of really deep, intimate things about her struggles and about her life. But that is part of her brand story. And it makes sense for her to share those things. And it's created an opportunity for her to build a tremendous community around talking about the things that a lot of people are scared to talk about. But for other folks that I know, it would not benefit their story to share that kind or that intimate type of information on social media. So unless your goal, whatever it is that you're struggling with or you feel compelled to share, and unless that is a part of your brand story, it is probably best left to a close circle friend conversation, right? I tell people all the time, if it crosses your mind like, oh, I wonder if I should share this, then the answer is probably no. <laughs> right? If you have to ask yourself the question, I wonder if I should share this, then the answer is probably no. But conversely, if you think, oh, my audience really needs to know this. And then if that's the first thought, and then the second thought is like, oh gosh, mm, but I wonder if I should share it, then probably yes. If your first thought is, oh, my audience would really benefit from this, or my audience needs to hear this example, or this story, then that probably is in alignment with your brand that probably would benefit your audience. But if your first thought is, oh, I wonder if I should share this, then the answer is probably no. And always look at everything through the lens of, does this fit with the broader context of the story my brand is trying to tell and the experience that I'm trying to cultivate for my clients and potential clients? 
Absolutely true. And just as a side point with that, we've talked in the past about, you know, sharing vulnerability and in situations where that's appropriate, but sharing vulnerability is not the same as broadcasting weakness. And you really need to have a good sense of which of those two you're doing. Sharing vulnerability allows for more personal human connections, but that's in places where you have a shared experience, right? Which is where the audience thing comes in. And context is really important there. So again, sharing vulnerability to build an emotional connection with your audience is one thing, but oversharing to the point of like an emotional word vomit that's not related to anything to your business is going to hurt you more than it's going to help you. And I know that our editor, Kaplan, has a great story where oversharing information really did have an impact on his business. And so I want to leave a moment for him to share that with us. Oh, where do I start? Michael Jordan once said, and I'm paraphrasing, that he is successful because he's failed so many times. Boy, can I relate to that. I am acutely aware of the foul taste of my foot. I am absolutely an overshare, and after repeatedly learning from hard lesson after hard lesson, coupled with the invaluable advice and perspective from my significant other, I have finally learned the value of keeping my fucking trap shut. At the same time, I attribute my success and uncanny ability to fall up partly to being an entitled white male, but also because of my personality, charisma, and most importantly, my work ethic. I constantly strive to improve, learn from others, and be generous with my knowledge, especially to others who are willing to learn. But when I was still quite green in my industry, my mouth prevented me from advancing in my field. When I first started working in post-production, I was mentored by a truly talented and intelligent individual that took the time and patience to teach me the fundamentals of the industry. When that post-production house that I worked for, who was in business for like 60 years, came crashing down in a spectacular fashion, I began interviewing, trying to find another place to work. One experience I remember quite clearly, I interviewed at Hobo Audio in Chelsea. It's a post-production house in Manhattan. I got through the preliminary interview and then I was asked to return and I interviewed with the owner. During that interview, instead of speaking about how far I've advanced and my technical knowledge and skills, I spoke at great lengths about the person who mentored me. I had nothing but praise for this person and eventually I was asked, why am I interviewing you and not the person who mentored you? It was all downhill from there. He started asking questions about my former employer's business and how it's self-destructed. And uh, happy to shift the conversation, I obliged and revealed all the dirty little details, hoping to connect on a personal level. He had absolutely no desire to hire me, but instead was using me to get information about his former competition. Later that day, I realized that he didn't twist my arm to get me to reveal that information. Instead of leaning into my confidence and experience, I revealed shit that was absolutely none of his business. And all he had to do was sit back and observe my acute condition coined diarrhea of the mouth. I could have avoided so many dumb mistakes if I just shut the fuck up. Kathleen, your thought. I'm going to piggyback a little bit on Robin's point. 
when you're having these conversations in whatever context it is, keeping a bit of awareness around what the purpose is and who the conversation is serving is really important. If it's serving you, (laughs) blab, tell your story, share, whatever. If it's serving a customer or a client, you need to be really focused on whether what you're sharing is moving their goals forward or not. And a great example of this is uh, when I was early on in my real estate career and I'd go show houses with people. We'd walk in and we'd start looking and we'd start talking and they'd, they'd tell me some personal bit about themselves. And I took a lot of these opportunities to connect personally and also share. And we'd get into these long stories and they'd talk about, oh, I'm from Wisconsin. Oh, me too. Where are you from? You know, and it would become this long drawn out conversation that was rewarding to me, but it made the home buying process take so much longer for them. And, you know, it's a big question mark whether or not that served them. Now, you know, there's people for whom there was also a point of like, we became friends, but there were a lot of people that we just ended up looking at a lot of houses and wasting a lot of their time without a really focused end game in mind. And, you know, looking back, I don't know that that was the best service of my customers. And I really needed to learn how to shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Shay. Yes. And learning how to shut the fuck up is really a skill set in many different angles like we're touching on. But one of those angles is creating the space to shut the fuck up, (laughs) aka asking better questions. When you ask good questions, you give opportunities for the other person to to kind of think about what is really happening in the moment and give you how they are feeling versus you telling them how they should feel or what they should think or what should come about next. Because, I mean, the human brain can only like take so much information on average and... The simpler it is, the more clear it is. When you start to ramble on, you start to erode your clarity. I read in an interview guide once on how to be a better interviewer that the cardinal rules of good interviewing are you never ask yes or no questions and never ask generic questions that the interview guest already has as a pat answer. If you've heard them say a thing a hundred times, don't ask the question that's going to make them say it a hundred one times. You want to create questions that really give that pause. I think in the first season, we had so many interview guests where we would ask a question and they'd go, that's a good question. (laughs) And really, that's a good question just means um, I need to say something here because they feel compelled to say something, obviously, but they're really having to think about that question in order to give a good response. And, and in the sales process, it should work the same way. You know, I, one of the pieces of feedback that I've gotten is that I ask great questions about that business, which really leads to discovering other problems and potentially other solutions in that cycle that I can help sell, you know, and that just drives a, a higher bottom line for me. Angel. Really great point. I have teammates ask after training sessions if they could get like a list of questions to ask on the phone. And I said, I told them no, because... I can't give you a list of questions. You have to cater your questions to the person that's on the other end of that phone. It makes a huge difference. And I wanted to, I wanted to go back for a second to something, Robin, you were talking about, should I share this if you have to ask the question? And to your point, context absolutely does matter. I think another question that I like to use is, will sharing this add value for the other person? We hear all of this preaching about vulnerability and how we have to be open and honest and share our stories. And that's great. 
but what value is your story adding to the other person or the audience or whoever's at the other end of that interaction? Something to really be thoughtful and intentional about. Absolutely. Vulnerability that helps connect is good. Vulnerability that broadcasts weakness or uncertainty is bad. <laughs> you know, yeah. when I share the stories, you know, from my past or hardships or difficulties that I've had along the way, it's within the context of it allowing me to connect with that person. And I only bring up the stories that are relevant to that person. I'm not going to talk to a banker about a website and bring up getting arrested for selling drugs, right? There's no benefit to adding that to the conversation. But they're talking about dealing with a crushing schedule and being under a lot of pressure constantly. I can certainly find stories that are relevant to that scenario where it allows me to connect and acknowledge, hey, I understand that place. And story sharing in that way, I think, is important. But knowing when not to tell the story is just as important. And sometimes it's things like you might not even consider them. I'm fond of having a drink or three or five or so. And if I'm talking with someone who maybe is in recovery or, or you know, has a strict teetotaler policy for themselves personally, right, those stories are not going to ingratiate me with them. I need to shut the fuck up about that. <laughs> Robin? Well, to Angel's point, that's such a good question. Is this going to add value? And I just wanted to share the author, Sally Hogshead, has this great thing that she says, every communication, if it's not adding value, you're human spam. Ooh. Yeah. That's a point. Yeah. Yuck. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm absorbing that now because as much as I hate spam, oof. Right? Yeah. Robin, drop the mic. I wish it was my idea, but fortunately I've had the the fortune to work with her. There's a few things that she said over the years that really stuck with me. And that was one of them. If what you're writing, sending, saying isn't adding value, then you're just human spam. I think something that we don't necessarily think about, especially when we're the kind of people who are prone to talking a lot, that's certainly me, is that there's this sort of inverse valuation that comes from your listening when you are a constant talker. If you are the kind of person who is always filling up the quiet spaces at parties and are participating in the network group and you're constantly throwing out advice and tips and guidance and all the rest of that kind of stuff, when people are used to hearing you talk all the time, when you make that conscious choice to shut the fuck up and listen, it's that much more valuable. And so they really feel like, holy shit, I mean, one of the things that I hear frequently is, I appreciate you taking the time. I know how busy you are. And it's meaningful. It impacts people. If you can train yourself, in spite of being a motor mouth, to have that active listening skill and to consciously turn it on and consciously choose to shut the fuck up and actively listen, it's so much more important to the person who's being listened to. You can't overstate the emotional impact of that. It makes them feel valued. You know, that you turned off your microphone and gave it to them. That so much. I love that so much. And to every young person out there listening whose report cards said things like all of mine said, mm-hmm. great student, but talks too much. <laughs> you can build a business out of talking, just so you know. I would very much like to go back to all those teachers and be like, who's talking too much now, motherfucker? All those days and in school suspension. (laughs) I would talk my way out of the suspensions. Oh (laughs) my God. I was never that lucky. Whenever they had like a usual suspect, it was me. (laughs) 
<laughs> I had the in-school suspension teacher that didn't want to be there and was bored and wrote my report for me. Nice. Wow. Well, I want to flip this around for, for our closing segment and talk to the people who are not the talkers, the quiet ones. You have the right and the ability to ask someone to shut the fuck up. And I know that that can be a difficult thing when you're the kind of person who tends to be a little more passive and tends to be a little more quiet. And maybe you feel like all the loud voices at the table kind of overrule you or, or you know, out talk you, so to speak. It's not only okay, sometimes it's critically important that you ask people to shut the fuck up and pull out a little space to be heard. In fact, I think a lot of folks who are quieter sort of in an ongoing way reinforce their own quietness tends to become a habit and you tend to not participate. And that can lead to a sense of not being heard in a much bigger way than in the moment, right? Uh, a sense of not being acknowledged, a sense of your existence not being meaningful in, in the context of whatever social environment that you're in. I would encourage you, especially for us big talkers, if somebody who's normally quiet says, hey, I need a minute here, you would be surprised at how quickly those talkers will shut the fuck up. Our habit of filling that space with words is generally sort of a caretaker habit, I think, in that we're like, oh, there's awkward silence. Let's make sure everyone feels comfortable and make sure that there's communication noises and we're all happy humans gibbering along together. You know, sometimes you really will have to throw up an obvious cue. It's not enough for those of us who are guardians of the conversation to notice that you haven't been talking. You may really need to forcefully interject yourself in that way. And as someone who may need to be interrupted, I encourage you to do so. Well, and I think conversely there, Jinx, the big talkers like us need to be conscious of that and set expectations that we expect to be interrupted, that we expect that we're going to be the interrupters that we're not trying to overstep anybody's bounds. It is our desire to have everyone have a voice should they choose to participate in the conversation. And so setting expectations of like, if y'all let me, I'm going to run this conversation. So if you want to get a word in edgewise, you need to speak up and you need to let me know. If I'm talking too fast, tell me to slow down. You know, if you missed what I said, ask me to repeat it. Those of us who are comfortable and used to running the conversation, the responsibility is on us to set the expectation and create the safe space to allow those others to speak up when they need to and make it okay for them to shut us down when we need to be shut down. <laughs> We're the first to know that sometimes we need to be shut down. You're not going to hurt our feelings. And it's not always delusions of grandeur either. You know, sometimes we're really looking for people to participate, but we need some cue, you know, that, that you're ready to participate. Angel? I think for those of us who have been in enough awkward conversations to realize that we talk too much and are pretty self-aware about it now, I think that these are really good tips for those situations. I just wanted to add to the discussion, what if you're dealing with somebody who is not self-aware, who doesn't realize they're doing it yet, who hasn't gone through that development in their own growth and self-awareness. Well, I mean, again, Angel, I appreciate that you have a lot to say about this topic, but I need you to shut the fuck up for a minute because I have something important that I need to say right now and I feel like the point's going to get lost if I don't. I'm listening. <laughs> and, and actually, that's not anything I've ever had to say to you, but it is something that people have had to say to me before. So... You know, self-awareness comes with some indicator to be aware of. And frequently, that might just be a person in the moment 
who was like, hey, I'm trying to finish a point here and you're stepping on me. I need to get this out. And Robin has demonstrated that aptly in multiple conversations and, and in our community meetings as well. It doesn't have to be a big asshole move or anything else. Sometimes it's just a reminder, you know, self-awareness comes with awareness. <laughs> and uh, sometimes you need to be poked to get that awareness. And I know, Robin, you had a thought there. <laughs> so I've had to handle this a couple of different ways. As a professional facilitator, when you're teaching a room full of adults, you do have to sometimes navigate big personalities, big idea people, politics of the group or of the company and things of that nature. So sometimes it's more appropriate to pull that person aside at a break and go, oh my God, you are sharing so much and I love it. However, I am getting the impression from some of the faces and body language that the amount that you're sharing is minimizing opportunities for other people to share, right? And that's what we're all here for. And so, you know, do me a favor and let's give them some more opportunities to share, right? And then there are moments where it is sort of like, there's no other way to say it. It's not a male-female thing, but there are some folks that you'll have in a situation like that where it is a dick move. You know, look at how big my dick is. Look at how big my knowledge is. Let me keep talking so everyone sees how amazing I am. And for those people in those moments when I'm sure that that's what it is, I will shut them down kind of harshly in front of the room in the moment to create an opportunity for everyone to be able to move forward. But I will always follow up with a private conversation to say, hey, I know that was harsh. Let me explain to you why I did it, right? Because I don't want them to think that like I was just trying to outpower their power move. I want to explain the dynamics of the room and why I made that decision in order for all of us to be able to move forward. So whether you have to handle it like quickly and abruptly in the moment or whether you pull them aside, I think the important thing in giving that lesson to those individuals is to help them understand why when they dominate the conversation, it actually doesn't benefit the rest of the people in the conversation. I've had some really good feedback about how I facilitate meetings in general. And one of the tactics that I use when I run into that particular circumstance is to make it super, super short, quick, and completely neutral, right? You know, if you try and stop someone in the meeting and, hey, you're talking a lot here and I need to pull this over here to this, you're creating a combative situation, right? Now you are achieving that sort of awkwardness. Whereas if someone's talking or interrupting, especially, right? The combination of that finger gesture with one minute and going right back into what you were saying, we have that sort of baked in from our kid years that if like the finger comes out at you, like the teacher or the mom, that means shut up, you know, and it's almost like a subconscious thing. And when you pair that with something as neutral as one minute, right? First of all, it sets up an expectation that yes, your thought or idea still is going to have a chance to come out, right? But it also stops in the moment and in a very unconfrontational way. And it puts the onus on them to be graceful about it, because if they become confrontational about that, now they're the ones who look like an asshole. <laughs> so sometimes it's just those little things. When, when you have to try and create space and help someone shut the fuck up, doing it with the smallest amount of energy and emotion possible is ideal. And especially if you can follow that up with an opportunity for them to actually express whatever it is that they were trying to express, you know? We're coming to the end of our segment time here. Any final thoughts that y'all want to get in? I would just like to drive home the point that we've given many different examples and many different scenarios, whether it's actual verbal conversations or written communication. Shutting the fuck up as a strategy 
will pay off in uncalculable dividends, right? And so even if you think everything that we've said today doesn't apply to you, I challenge you to give it a try. (laughs) And your next conversation, shut up more than you talk and see how it pays off for you. And sometimes even just pressing with another incentive to speak, you know, when someone's like, I'm having a bad day, you know, and going, oh, well, what's going on? And then shutting up again. When you create that space for people to talk and make it clear that you're actively listening, you'd be surprised what people will share. Kathleen. Especially in the context of sales, I would say practice sitting in uncomfortable silence. Mm -hmm. And one good tool to do that is take a big breath and count to five in your head after you ask the question. (laughs) Angel? Just to add to that, in large group scenarios, count to two or three at least before speaking. Give other people a chance if you if you find that you're always chiming in. Give it a couple seconds and then raise your hand or or start to speak. And two ears and one mouth for a reason. Listen at least at least twice as much as you talk. Absolutely. And share. Like we touched it on dating earlier, sometimes it's very easy to talk yourself out of the glorious end point by jumping in. <laughs> Absolutely. Glorious. And here's my final thought on the matter. When we're talking, we tend to have a certain pace when we're trying to get these ideas out. And generally, if you're a big talker, you're probably also somewhat of a fast talker, right? But the thing to keep in mind is that silence is punctuation. And when you allow those little moments of silence to hang, You draw people into that conversation with an implied punctuation that transmits a little more importance, a little more urgency, a little more weight to what you're saying. So sometimes shutting the fuck up for even a second or two is part of what drives a point home. It's something to to take to mind. And that's it for this particular episode, Unfuckers. Learn to shut the fuck up out there. Create good, active listening scenarios. You're going to create better relationships. You're going to get more sales. You're going to close sales more often. The benefits are countless. And what's more, people think you're a great listener. And that's always something to be positively thought of. And from all of us at the Unfuck My Business crew, we will see you next Tuesday. What the fuck are you waiting for? Take what you learned in this episode and do something with it. You'll find all the links and resources we talked about in our show notes for this episode and go to unfuckmybusiness.com to subscribe to the show.